Let's go ahead and begin with prayer. God, we just thank you so much for just this time of worship already. Lord, we've just lifted your name. We've glorified you. We sing hallelujah, Lord, just praise to you. And God, this morning, I just pray that you would just be with us now as we dive into your word and we take this journey together and just seeing what the psalmist has for us this morning and how your word is our good portion, Father, and how it will set our feet on the path of life that you have for us. Father, be with us now. May your spirit and your word connect and speak to it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, what I want to do is we start out in our uh, series here. We're going to, I think we're concluding the series this morning, but we're going to finish off Psalm 119 today. We're going through verses 57 to 72, so we're not going to get through the whole thing, but we're going to start here and go through these verses together. And as we do that, I want to step you back in time a little bit to 1903. Now, back in 1903, I don't think anybody was born in here, but there was this gentleman named Horatio Jackson who set out on a great adventure to become the first person ever to drive an automobile clear across the country from one coast all the way to the other. So he set out to be the first guy ever to complete the first cross-country road trip. Now this adventure began because Mr. Jackson took a $50 and not be done. He said, I bet it can be done. So he took the wager and he set out on this adventure. Now Jackson was a medical doctor from Vermont and he was an automobile enthusiast vacationing in San Francisco with his wife. So as he took this wager, the only problem he had is, one, he didn't have an automobile. <clears throat> Two, he had very little driving experience. And three, there were no useful maps of the country at the time. So he had a lot ahead of him to figure out how he was going to pull this off. But on May 23rd, 1903, after purchasing a car and then hiring a mechanic by the name of Sewell Crocker, who would also double as his backup driver, the two men hit the road. Now their car, we have a picture here, their car was a two-cylinder, 20 horsepower, 20 horsepower, 20 horsepower, that's, that's funny, 20 horsepower, open-top vehicle. So you can see here the two men, they're, they're pulling into one of their stops, and if you'll notice, there's a little dog on there, we'll talk about him in a minute. But these two men, they, they packed up this car in 1903, they named their car the Vermont after, after uh, uh, Jackson's hometown, so they packed up everything they would need for this adventure. So they packed up sleeping bags, they packed up blankets, they, they packed rubber suits for when it was raining, because again, no top, they packed up coats when it was cold. They even put tools in there such as axes and shovels and other tools that they would need along the way because, again, the roads weren't the nice paved roads that you see out there today. They were dirt roads and, and some roads they had to make on their own. They also took a camera along with them to document the journey as well as a telescope. As well, being that they were in the, in the uh, wilderness in some places, they took a shotgun and a rifle for protection. And then they piled on there as many cans of gasoline and oil as, as, they, as they could possibly carry. And the two men hit the road on May 23rd. Now, just 15 miles into this great adventure, they blew out their first tire. They had to use the only spare tire that they packed with them. But this wouldn't be the only mishap that they would find along the way. There was one instance when they were in Sacramento where this lady had a desire for her whole family to see their first automobile live and in person. So she put them on this 108-mile hiatus detour, just in a big circle, that eventually put them off course for that many miles. They also went a stretch where they ran out of food, and there was nothing in view for the next 36 hours. So they were quite hungry for a few days there. Another tire blew, and they had to use rope to fashion a makeshift tire onto the rim. 
And they also ran out of gas multiple times, having to then find somebody who had gas, fetch it, and then walk it back to the car just to fill it up and find that gas station again. So they had all kinds of misadventures along the way. But along the way, if you'd see, pull that picture back up again, they found time to pick up this stray dog that they affectionately named Bud. Now, Bud, I, I don't remember what type of dog he was, maybe a, pit, uh, maybe a bulldog or something there, but it says that they also fashioned Bud with his own set of driving goggles because they didn't want Bud to get dust and debris in his eyes as they were traveling along the road. Now, this is all funny and comical to us. I'm pretty sure this is a serious thing for them, all right? But on, finally, on May, or excuse me, July 26th, the trio pulled in to New York, completing this cross-country journey, going from San Francisco all the way to New York. Now, the trip in total took them 63 days, and it cost a total of $8,000, which would be about $260,000 today's time. So Jackson paid for that whole trip. He paid for uh, 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 Crocker's um, trip with him, paid him to be his driver and everything, and they also spent over 800 gallons of gasoline in that vehicle. But they made it. They endured the hardships, they completed the journey, they overcame obstacles, and eventually made it all the way across the country. And as we dive into today's text, what we're going to do is we're going to take a bit of a road trip ourselves through the Bible. And we're going to see how the psalmist tells us how to stay the course in God's Word. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, flip over to Psalm 119. And we're going to go verses 57 to 64 together, break that up, talk about that for a minute, and then we'll get into the remaining portion there. So it says here in verse 57, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning, The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think of my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. And so right here, right out the gate in verse 57, we see that the psalmist states that the Lord is his portion. He had discovered that through the journey of life, before he could do anything, before he could really hit the road, he had to be full of God's portioning. And that's the same thing for us, right? Just as we're going to set out on on an automobile adventure, on a cross-country journey, we have to make sure the first thing we do is we have to make sure that gas tank is a full tank. And this leads me kind of to our first point this morning that the psalmist gives, is that God never gives less than a full portion. Now, this word portion, if you remember, this is an acrostic as we go through the wall of Psalm 119. So the writer here took all the Hebrew alphabet, and he took the letters and assigned a word to each letter. And the letter here is heth, and it's the word portion. And portion means an inheritance or a share. And the actual definition on this one is a share received as a gift or inheritance. So it's something that you receive that's undeserved, right? It's just given to you. And it appears that this psalmist had learned that the only way to stay the course was he had to depend completely on the Lord. And that dependency became his strength. And nothing else could satisfy his soul other than leaning into God and receiving that full portion. Because when God provided, he provided to the fullest measure. If you flip over to Psalm 73, you would see that there's a psalmist there, Asaph, who had a similar proclamation about his dependency and desire for God. And he said in verse uh, 25 and 26 of Psalm 73, he said, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart will fail. But God is my strength of heart and my portion forever. So here we have two psalmists exclaiming the same things, that God is their portion. And I believe that this expression of God being our portion, it's, 
it's really quite hard to, to explain. I think it's something more that has to be experienced. Right? If you think about it, when we say that God is our portion, some people might not quite get that. But what the psalmist knew is that he had to be full on God so that he could stay the course in life. He had to go back to God time and time again and be filled up of all the things, all the reminders that God had for him in his word about how he had gotten him through not only the good times, but the bad times as well. How many of you have ever taken your Bible and picked it up and started reading, and you got to a portion of Scripture where you were reminded of how an incident in your life had come about? Maybe it was something, a hard time you were going through, and the Lord just encouraged you through it with this verse. Maybe there was another time where you just you had a great Thanksgiving meal, and you sat down, and you were reading your Bible, and you were just reminded of all the goodness of who God is in your life. And I think that's why it's so important for us to stay in the Bible. That's what, that's what the psalmist had discovered, that when he went to God's word, it was that little reminder of, of times in his life where God had been faithful. And so he wanted to, to just be continually filled by that. And here, here's the way I like to think of it, a little illustration. Uh, how many of you use Google Maps? I know there's a lot of people that use Waze. But Google Maps has this feature, and I'm not sure about other apps, but Google Maps has this neat feature that I enjoy because what it'll do is it'll actually pull up a timeline of all of your past trips. And so you can go in Google Maps and it'll show you like, hey, here's a trip you took down to the Outer Banks. And hey, here's a trip you did five years ago to Disney. And really it's just showing me the route I took, and then it shows me just some canned pictures off the internet of the places that I've been. So it's not really my stuff, but it's Google saying, hey, this is where you've been. This is, remember this? Remember the good times you had there? Remember how uh, there was a detour here and you had to go around? And so that's the neat thing that I enjoy about Google Maps. And I think it's the same thing with God's Word, right? We can dive into it and we could be, we could be reminded over and over and over of God's faithfulness in our life. And I think it's just exactly what the Psalms is trying to explain to us, is back that we need to stay in God's Word because this is the only thing that's ever going to satisfy our soul. The only thing in this life, as, as, as back in Psalm 73 said, the, the Lord is our strength and our portion, the only thing that can ever be that full need for us. But I also think that, that when it comes to this portioning idea, we have to begin with the gospel, right? It all starts there. As we are filled with God, we have to first be filled with him through Jesus Christ. And the gospel is this. The gospel is the fact that Jesus is God. He came to the earth, fully God, fully man. We're going to celebrate that, that coming, that first advent at Christmas time here this year. But Jesus came to the earth. He lived a perfect life for us so that he could be the perfect sacrifice. And we know that Jesus ultimately, he, he put himself on a cross and he died for our sins. And then he was buried. But three days later, here's the good news about it all. Three days later, Christ resurrected. He came back to life through his own power, conquering sin, conquering death, conquering hell, conquering all the adversaries that we'd ever have in this life. He gave his full portion so that we could receive this inheritance from God. And this is a beginning place for us. And so this morning, if you've never put your trust in God, if you've never begun that relationship with Jesus, I'm going to encourage you, why don't you make today the day to do that? Make today the day that you say yes to Jesus and start along this journey that he has for you. Now, the psalmist begins, of course, he begins this statement that the Lord is his portion. And it's there that everything else really flows, right? We don't see that the psalmist says, I'm going to do all these things, and then, Lord, you're going to bless me. We see first the Lord blesses. He gives us full portion and then everything else flows from that. And so this leads us to point number two. It's that obedience sets our focus and our fervor. Those are two F words that kind of went together, so I used fervor. There you go. So obedience is an overflow of our faith, right? Faith comes first, and then it leads to this joyous, voluntary submission that we have to the Lord. 
I, I believe that submission is not something that we are naturally inclined to as human beings, right? Think about when the first sin began, when the first sin was committed. It was back in the garden, right? God said, hey, don't do this. Then Satan comes along and said, well, did God really say don't do that? I'm not sure that's how it really goes. And then the human said, yeah, you might be right. He really didn't see that. And so having this desire to not obey anybody else but be the king and ruler of their own life, right? They took that fruit and, and they committed the first sin. They disobeyed God. And, and why is that? It's because, again, we're just born with this nature that is defiant, right? We, we don't have this desire in us to want to be submissive. Matter of fact, I think submissive is an offensive word these days. When we say the word submit, it brings a lot of negative connotations with it. But here we see that the psalmist is getting to this idea that as you get into God's word, we begin to discover this plan that God has for our life. And we begin to discover all the desires that he has for us. And so it begins to transform us from this, my will be done, to a thy will, Lord, be done. In biblical obedience, I found a definition. Uh, one of the definitions went like this. It says, Willing submit, willingly submitting to the authority and will of God through the teaching and commandments found in the Bible. And along with that, it involves hearing, trusting, submitting, and surrendering to God and his word. And so we see example after example in these first few verses that the psalmist says about his yearning for God's word, right? He had this desire to be obedient to everything that God was calling him to in, in his word. And we see here, if we go into verses 57 and 60, we see there was a desire to keep that word. In verse 59, he said, I think on your ways. Verse 61, he says, I don't forget your law. Verse 2, he says, I rise and praise you because of your righteous rule. And verse 64, he says, teach me your statutes. The keeping of God's law, his commandments, his statutes became his heart's desire. And that's all that the psalmist wanted in his life. Now, many know that, that many scholars think that it was perhaps King David that wrote this psalm himself. So we're not really sure. But if we look at King David's life, he had a desire to really obey God's command. Now, he didn't get it perfect. But he had that desire to always be there in obedience to God and his word, knowing that that obedience would ultimately bring fulfilling in his life that he desired. And again, it's not out of a natural inclination, but it's out of this overflow of gratitude and praise for God's portioning and inheritance in our life. And also note the zeal that the psalmist had, the dedication and enthusiasm that the psalmist had desire to, to seek after God in the pages of his word. He says in verse 62 that I rise at midnight and I praise God for his righteous rules. I don't know many of you, but... The last thing I want to do at midnight is get back up and, and start reading my Bible or praising God, right? But this is it's just an overflow of his desire to be with the Lord. He got back up. He said, Lord, I can't get enough of you. I want to get up at midnight and praise you. He had a zeal and a fire for the Lord to know all that he could about God and his word. And so, again, this takes us back to how are we going to be reminded of God's word, right? That timeline that Google Maps gives us if we're not getting into God's word. And so I know that there's a New Year's coming along, and we also want to make these resolutions. But here's my resolution for you. Why wait till New Year's to get into God's Word? Why not go ahead today and pick up your Bible and start your reading plan right now? I know oftentimes we'll put a reading plan out at Coastal, and we'll say, hey, won't you join with us on, at the beginning of the year? We'll go through the whole Bible together. Why wait till January? Get the head start. Go ahead and jump in your Bible now. Find your own reading plan. Get with me or Pastor. We can give you a reading plan that we that we have around here and help you to get into God's Word. Or maybe you've you've kind of taking your, ga your, your, pat your uh, foot off the gas pedal in your own reading plan as you've been trying to stay with pace this year, get back to it. Press the gas pedal again. Get back into God's Word. Start picking back up where you left off and get back into God's Word each and every day. 
so that you can get this into your hearts and your minds. That way, when the hard times hit, you can get back into God's word and know that he's going to be there for you. When the good times are there, we can be in God's word celebrating and praising him for it, right? This is where we need to be. This is what the psalmist is explaining to us, the fact that this is our full portion right here and nothing else can satisfy. So we have to be obedient to doing the things that God has called us to do. Now, let's also preface with this, right? God's word and being obedient to it does not guarantee that we will get the desires of our heart. It doesn't mean that our journey in life is going to work out exactly the way that we plan. We know there's going to be hiccups and road bumps and hazards and and detours and traffic and all kinds of other things. But being in God's word, it helps us to deal with all of those hiccups and detours that life throws at us. So think of obedience to God's word like like, like your GPS. Ultimately, it will get you to your final destination, but there will be detours and hazards all, all along the way. But just like your GPS, it'll help reroute you, right? It'll take you around that turn. It'll take you around that hazard. It'll tell you where there are adversaries after you in this life or the police, either way. But, but as we continue on, let's pick back up in our reading. Let's get to verse 65 and go all the way through 72 because we're going to see the rest of what this psalmist is exclaiming here to us as God being his good portion. He says in 65, You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge. There's two benefits, again, from being in God's word, judgment and knowledge. For I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like, flat, like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted. Ah, that's a strong verse right there. It is good to me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. So as we get into this next portion here, what we're going to see is point number three. Trials always serve a good purpose. And so as we journey through this life, there will be trials, hiccups, and mishaps. We've already stated that over and over here. In verse 67, we even see that the psalmist reveals that he was afflicted. It says there in verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. In verse 69, he said that that his name was smeared with lies. But God, in, in, in all of it, as he stayed focused on God and he sought after him, he saw how God got him through to the other side. God was his good portion. In verse 71, even the psalmist exclaims that even his afflictions were a, a teaching point in his life. It was good for him, is what he says, to go through these afflictions, to be afflicted and go through these trials, because he knew that that was ultimately going to bring him closer to God in the end. And we see in verse 65, if we go to, all the way back to the top there of this section, it says that we see God dealt well with this psalmist. Now again, the acrostic here, the letter there is teth, and this, this word means good or benefit. And so the psalmist states in this section, he starts out with gratitude, stating that God has dealt well with him because of the afflictions that God had brought him through. His trials were a benefit to learning and good judgment and gaining knowledge. And as I started thinking about that, the question came to mind, what, what about me? What about you? Do you see affliction? Do you see hardships? Do you see trials? as this opportunity to grow closer to the Lord. If we're being honest, I don't want to go through them, 
right? I want to go around those things. I want to find another way. Maybe you could build an overpass, Lord. I don't know. I don't want to go through this because this is going to be hard. This is going to be terrible in some cases. And so we know that trials, they, they are hard. But can you praise God for the unexpected detours that life has taken you on? Do you see the good purpose that God is revealing you through these trials? Oftentimes, I think if we're not careful, we'll hit a trial and we'll think, well, maybe I've messed up somewhere. Maybe it was me. And yes, there are consequences for our actions. But I think sometimes we think that maybe we've been disobedient in some way. And so if we could just do X, Y, and Z, it's going to get us back in God's good graces. But again, God allows trials and tribulations in our life to test us so that we could be strengthened. It is all a part of this sanctification process. Remember, Pastor talked about that last week. He said salvation, there's this moment of justification. We're made right with God, right? And we, we, we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, and in that moment, we, we begin that relationship with Jesus right here. And then there's going to be this whole process we go through called sanctification before we eventually hit this glorification process, uh, moment where we are taken from this earth and we're with Jesus forever and ever and no longer have to worry about everything in between here in this sanctification process. But the sanctification part is where we currently live. Right? Until we are taken off this earth, we're going to go through sanctification. We're going to go through the trials. We're going to go through times where God is using all the events of our life to draw us nearer and nearer to him. There is a divine uh, a purpose in all these. I think these are kind of God's divine detours in life, if you will. And even we see that Jesus himself faced trials and afflictions and hardship. He was persecuted. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was all of these terrible things done to him so that he could ultimately be put on that cross and die for our sins. So why in the world should we expect anything less in our life? The Bible never guarantees that, hey, you put your faith and trust in Jesus. He's done everything for you. Now your life is perfect. Right? Perfect comes at that glorification moment. Here we live in a broken, fallen world. But there's some many, many important things that we're going to learn here in just a moment about this journey that we're still on. So don't, don't di get discouraged with all the detours of life just yet. Don't get discouraged with the fact that we are going to have to go through sanctification. James 1, 2, 2 through 4 tells us that, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of many kinds come your way, consider it an opportunity for joy. Hmm. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when the endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So again, that's not to downplay the trials of our lives. That's not to downplay afflictions that we will experience. That's not to say that things will be easy. They're absolutely not. But if only we keep our focus on the right things. As the psalmist tells us, if we only keep our focus right here, God will see us through every single moment of our life, even the hard stuff. And so let's get into point number four then, where the psalmist goes. He says this. Point number four is God's word is our greatest treasure. God's word is our greatest treasure. I want to finish telling you about Mr. Jackson. Horatio Jackson, he never received that $50. He placed the bet. The guy never made good on the bet, which today would be about 1700 bucks, by the way, just to put that in perspective. Like, it wasn't just a casual little thing. But I, I guess at the same token, he never had to pay back the bet either. So, uh, so I guess good for him at this point. Uh, Horatio Jackson also went on to serve in World War I. He was a successful businessman. Uh, through his efforts of business and being in the war, he, he received lots of money because of his business. He also received medals and treasures, uh, or medals and uh, awards for his service in the military. 
But ultimately, all of these things still left Mr. Jackson empty. There was even a documentary done on Mr. Jackson some years ago. And as I was reading through this article, he didn't live a terrible life, but he didn't live this life of glamour, glamorous excess either because of his great accomplishments of, of making it across the country, being the first guy to ever do that, right? He just lived an average normal life. He still faced roadblocks. He still faced trials. He still faced affliction. Matter of fact, just as quickly as this record was made, making it across the country in 63 days, another duo showed up and made the same trip in 61 days. So his record, just like that, was gone. And I think it's important just to remember that, that all the things we do on this earth, they have significance, right? But, but the treasures, the riches, the fame, all of that stuff fades away. All of that stuff fades away. The only thing that lasts are the things that we do for God's kingdom. And I think the psalmist had it right here in teaching us a valuable lesson through this journey, that God's word is far more valuable than any money, any medals, any earthly accomplishments that we will ever have here. Despite everything that we can gain and achieve, God's word is far more precious in value. This right here is one of our most precious commodities. If we will stay in this, God, God created the world, right? He put the whole design together. He said, this is how it should function. This is how it should work. He made it perfect for us in the beginning. Now, we mess that all up, right? But the, he gave us, he, here's another way, right? Here is actually the way that I had set because I knew you were going to monkey this up. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this world, it's going to be trying. It's going to be hard, but you're going to get through it. And ultimately, you're going to be with me in heaven forever and ever and live in that perfection that we long for. And so this right here is our greatest commodity because in it, God tells us everything we need to know on how to live this life and how to navigate this life. He says there in verse 72, it's far better than thousands of pieces of gold and silver. Like just let that sink in, right? Everybody that's playing the lottery, just putting their hopes and dreams in that, right? This is far better than, than the lottery. This is far better than that dream job that you could ever hope for. This is far better than that, than that nice two-seater, 20-horsepower car that you've got your eye on out in the parking lot. This is better than anything we can ever have in this world. And the psalmist tells us God's word, it should be our greatest treasure because there is where you find God. This is where you find guidance for your life. This is where you find encouragement for your soul. And this is where you find everything that you will need to navigate through this journey. So what I want to do in our last few moments together, I want to talk about practically how we can stay the course in God's word. And so the first thing is this. We need to rely on our navigator, the Holy Spirit. We saw Mr. Jackson knew that he was going to need help on this trip, so he hired himself a mechanic, a navigator to help him out. And so we too, again, we have the Holy Spirit within us. Those of us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the moment we accepted him, God put his spirit within us. So God dwells with us. He is there with us forever and ever. Matter of fact, in John 14, verses uh, 51 to 31, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his return to heaven. And he's talking about, when I go, I'm going to send you a helper, though. I'm promising this, this paraclete, this helper that I'm going to send to you. He tells them to keep his commandments, and he's going to send this advocate who will be with them, who will abide with them. And Jesus tells them that the Holy Spirit, he will teach them, verse 26 and 27, he will teach them and remind them. Sounds familiar, right? The psalmist had something right here. As long as we can be in God's word, he will teach us and he will remind us all along the way. And so don't forget about your navigator, the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. He is the power within us. Letter B, or point two of this one on how to stay the course, is consider 
uh, excuse me, consistently review your map, the Bible. This is our roadmap for life, right? God speaks through his word. So how can the Holy Spirit remind us of what God has said if we're not actively reading it? Right? It's great that we have God with us, right? God, the Holy Spirit is in us. But if we are not seeking after the pages of Scripture and finding them in here, we're never going to be able to make this connection from the heart to the head and really understand how God can, can work and move in our life. So let it penetrate into your mind. Let it sink down into your heart. It's amazing. Oftentimes when, when I'm going through certain things, I'm not the greatest at memorizing Scripture. But in a moment, I can just sit and be reminded. The Lord will put something in my mind all of a sudden. It's like it, it just comes back. It's like, Lord, I've, I don't even remember trying to memorize that one. And yet here I am recalling the scripture that's encouraging me or, or helping me through it. And so it's important, again, stay in God's word. Again, if your resolution is I'm going to start reading the Bible next year, start today. Get a jump start on all of us. Start right now, today in November, and lead, on, lead the pack for us in this Bible reading plan, or just spend time finding a devotion every day that you're going to read through. Make consistent time with your roadmap, the Bible. Letter C, this time I want to invite the worship team to come on up. Letter C is, see the wor world through God's lens. Right? Mr. Mr. Jackson, with this little dog Bud, they gave him a set of goggles because they knew along the road it was going to be rough, it was going to be dusty. There was going to be obstacles that were going to fly up and maybe get in his eyes. So they wanted him to be able to just to stay focused. And I think one of the things that we've done in this world is we've let all the obstacles around us shape our worldview, right? We've forgotten all about how God has designed this world and how he call, what he calls us to be as his people. And so we, we allow politics to shape our mind. We allow the pursuit of money to shape our mind. We allow what our neighbors on Facebook or, or people on Facebook or our neighbors think about us to shape our minds. We allow so many other things to become our worldview, world and we forget the fact that we should have a biblical worldview. We should be seeing the world through God's eyes. Right? God gave his one and only son so that we could have a relationship with him, so that we could have our lives transformed. And so we need to make sure that we're staying consistent in God's word, staying focused on him, and making him the, the, the lens in which we see the entire world. Because this world is messed up and fallen, but God was not surprised by that. He shows us all the way through what is, what's going to happen and how we're going to get there with him. So let this be your worldview. Let this be the lens that you see the Lord through. And then letter D. And this is one that's really, I've been really working on this one. I, I got this one from somebody else here. But letter D is enjoy the ride and don't rush the journey. I think a lot of the times, the brokenness of this world, the things that we experience, they bring us down. But again, God created a beautiful, good world. His words for it is good. And so there's so many great things that we can enjoy. He created us to enjoy this world. Yes, there's all kinds of, of things out there, but every single moment we can find joy. And that's what, that's what the psalmist here had discovered, that through it all, God can help him in those moments, every single moment, every single hardship, knowing that God was going to grow him and strengthen him and draw him closer to himself. It, it's kind of like this. I think that I, we love taking road trips. We, we'll hit the road and we'll go down to the Outer Banks for the day. We'll, you know, we've gone to Disney a few times. I remember one year we went to Disney, probably about five, six years ago. We were going down, we, we drove, we were going down 95, and 
I'm usually the one that has to stop first, so we hit every rest stop along the way probably. Uh, but we also hit the visitor centers. And so part of the journey for us, we, our final destination was Disney and the fun we were going to have there. But part of that journey, part of that, that, that traveling, part of the fun that we had was in those pit stops. We would stop at a rest stop and we'd get out and have some fun or we'd have lunch together. Or we would hit the, uh, I remember we were hitting all the visitor centers at every state. And at every visitor center, we were picking up all the maps and the kids were in the back seat and they're trying to figure out where we we're at on the map and doing all these things. There was so much joy and excitement in the journey to the final destination that had we just forgone all that and said, no, we're going to speed all the way down 95 just to get there. There were so many moments that we would have we missed. Like we would have never gotten to stop in at Florida and have a little cup of orange juice that they give out to you. We would have missed all these little moments together as a family that were so precious. And I remember coming home, I think it was that same trip, we hit traffic. Now, I think I share Pastor Segree's sentiment with traffic. Uh, sentiment with traffic. We, we don't enjoy traffic at all, not even like two or three cars. But we hit the South Carolina line and stopped. And so we eventually crept along, and we ended up detouring off into Hilton Head, staying the night there, spending another night unexpected at the beach that we had not planned for. And it was one of the greatest moments that we had as a family. <laughs> So I just say this, don't forget the rest stops and pit stops along the way in your journey. There's so many good things that God has for you. And my last point, my takeaway is this, is God's word is our great portion. It's our good portion that prepares us for the journey of life. So stay in it, stay focused, and he will keep you on course. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. That we thank you that you had everything in mind from beginning to end and everything in between. That there is nothing that has ever surprised you in this world. That you, you don't wake up one day and go, oh my goodness, didn't know that was happening. Lord, we are so grateful that you know every single thing about us. That you know every single detail of our life. You know the good times as well as all the hard times and the trials that we're going to go through. You know every single moment that we're going to have in life. And so, Father, I just pray that as we step into this Christmas season, may we never forget about who you are and what you've done for us. As we've just celebrated Thanksgiving, may we just carry that, that attitude of gratitude with us, Lord, just being thankful for every moment that you've given us, even the hard times, Lord, knowing that in those moments you are drawing us nearer and nearer to you. You are strengthening us for this journey. So, Lord, I just pray that as the psalmist has stated here, Lord, that we would see your word far more valuable than any, any treasure of this earth, anything that we could ever have or accomplish, Lord. And may we just stay focused, stay intently in your word, and let you keep us on course as we navigate this life together. In Jesus' name we pray.